We will eat and drink later, he said. Let us remain together a little, we who have loved each other so sadly and have fought so long. I seem to remember only centuries of heroic war, in which you were always heroes, epic on epic, Iliad on Iliad, and you always brothers in arms. Whether it was but recently, for time is nothing, or at the beginning of the world, I sent you out to war. I sat in the darkness, where there is not any created thing, and to you I was only a voice commanding valor and an unnatural virtue. You heard the voice in the dark, and you never heard it again. The sun in heaven denied it, the earth and sky denied it, all human wisdom denied it, and when I met you in the daylight I denied it myself. Who and what are you? I am the Sabbath. I am the peace of God. Welcome to Pints with Chesterton, a podcast where two millennial women dive into the wonderful and whimsical works of Gilbert Keith Chesterton. I am Marie. And I'm Grace. Today we are talking about The Man Who Was Thursday, A Nightmare, which is one of Chesterton's comic novels. Grace, how are you and what are you drinking today? I am good. I am drinking a giant bottle of water because it is officially summer in Louisiana and yesterday my car registered 102. Oh my so, goodness. <laughs> it's not nearly that hot outside actually but it's Uh-oh. uh in the sun it's a lot and so I was like you know what I'm just gonna go for water today. Okay very good. I am drinking a cup of breakfast tea which nice. is very typical. Uh it's actually 50 something degrees here and yeah, the tea is lovely. Um, what have you been up to this week um, with work and life? Yeah, this week just kind of wrapping things up. We just finished the semester for the, you know, I work on a um, at a church on a college campus. And so um, we've just finished up and the students have gone home and it's kind of like a ghost town. <laughs> so, but in the office, we're just sort of wrapping everything up for the year. And um, we just had some meetings and some discussions and just trying to kind of set the trajectory for the summer preparing for next year so awesome fantastic mm-hmm. what have you been up to um I have a little bit of hosting going on we had a friend come stay with us this weekend and then we have another set of friends coming with their little ones tomorrow so we've kind of just been honestly having some celebrations and. David and I have been trying to get healthier, nice. so we got a Peloton bike uh, about four weeks ago, and we love it so much. It's so fun. Um, oh, that's awesome. For all my ladies out there listening who have had a child, you don't really want to be a runner anymore after you've had a baby. <laughs> You're just like, I need something a little more peaceful and still. <laughs> Not still, but anyway, the Peloton bike has been amazing and very fun um so that's that's been good and as far as reading lately oh i've been reading all creatures great and small uh, oh yeah i've been wanting to watch the show it is so charming you will love it that's great yeah i i absolutely love the show and i'm i'm actually reading the book after watching the entirety of the show that's been released the newer version 
and the book is very close to the show. Oh, that's great. So they were very loyal to the text and it's just as entertaining to read it. I almost feel like I'm getting to relive the show again, which I loved <laughs> so much. So that's awesome. I would I would very much recommend both. There's a little bit more detail in the book too. So yeah, I did that with um, the Durrells. Did you ever watch the Durrells in Corfu? No, I haven't. Is it good? <laughs> it is. It's it gets a little wacky. Like I think as the seasons go on, and I, I haven't read all of the books, so I don't know. Um, if it's actually being true in the later books, I kind of have a hunch that it's not. Oh, but um. I, I think they just they sort of took some artistic liberties at some point and then just ran with them. Mm. Um, but and I know that I read like the first season or two um, I watched and then I read the first one or two books. Um, okay. And it was very similar. They had changed a couple of things, but it was um, it was just it's funny and it's fun and it's memoirs, you know, of the youngest son in the family. And so anyways, it's. It was kind of uh, a hoot, but that's anyway. fun. Um, have you been reading anything lately? Um, I have honestly um, been reading a lot of scripture, <laughs> uh, which is good. I um, that's an excellent answer. Yeah, I finished our up our RCIA class for the year. We had a couple of um, mm-hmm. classes beyond Easter, and everyone in class was like. Um, so we don't want to stop coming to class. <laughs> so I was like, I mean, we could do a summer Bible study at the same time. How and they're like, wonderful. yeah. So I was like, oh, this is great. So, um, so yeah, so we're, we're just kind of starting that up. But our goal is to read straight through the gospel of Luke and then do acts. So okay. we'll do, um, Luke and acts back to back and get sort of like the whole story. Um, okay. you know, and then further into the early church. So, my goal is to kind of make it mm-hmm. sort of half like teaching how to pray with scripture a little bit more, but also half um, just explaining the literal sense. Because I think a lot of people just like they read the gospel and they just don't know a lot about con- of the context, you know. And so, mm. you know, Jesus will say something and he'll be referencing something. But if you don't know what he's referencing, then it kind of makes everything confusing. So yeah. I've just found over the years that um, really people get a lot out of just hearing about really simple basic context like facts totally um, about the gospels and so that's going to be my goal is to just kind of like walk them through that and just like point out what's going on and then hopefully that can lead into deeper prayer so that's um, so beautiful so yeah that's the goal and so yeah so I'm trying to read some commentaries and like just kind of understand the the gospels even just like make sure that there's not things that I've been missing, you know, um, as I'm going through it with them. And so, yeah, so it's exciting and it's fun and I have a lot of extra time to devote to that in the summer since a lot of the students are gone. So, yeah, that's great. I love that they requested a continuation of the learning that you'd (laughs) been doing together. That's such a compliment. Yeah, it's, it's been so great. Just the, the whole group is, um, just really excited. And of course they're on fire. They just, receive the sacraments and so, so they, they want more which is awesome so that's fantastic okay so today we're discussing the man who was thursday and as we've said on the podcast previously this is one of our favorite books this is is this your favorite um i don't know if i would call it my favorite i think it's definitely one of them, but also I just kind of love everything that I read <laughs> by Chesterton. Yeah, yeah, fair I enough, fair enough. It was, 
It was one of the first ones that I read by him. Um, okay. And so I, it yeah, it was really exciting to me. And so I do love it. And I'm excited to talk about it because I think even though I really enjoyed it and continued to enjoy it the subsequent times that I read it, it is still such a mystery on one level to me and so I'm excited to kind of talk about that um because the other books it's like you read them like Man Alive right like I love Man Alive and we've read that and we're by the end of it you kind of like get it you know what I mean you're like okay I get what he's trying to do I like understand the whole like analogy or whatever but um but Man Who Was Thursday, not so. Yes. (laughs) There's more mystery. to talk about that. Yeah. Absolutely. Fantastic. Well, I'm going to jump right in and just give a little summary of this text. We're assuming that you know that we're going to be discussing the whole book. So yeah, spoilers. Yeah. So (laughs) um, and we we released our episode about maybe a month or two ago (laughs) saying we were going to do this. So hopefully that's been plenty of time for you to (laughs) read the text. So this book is set, uh, starts out in a borough in London and Basically, Chesterton goes to town with the setting, describing the setting. Um, It's very red and colorful and beautiful sounding. Mm -hmm. And he's describing this place as a bunch of people who don't know that they're so artistically beautiful Mm -hmm. and and, uh, basically (laughs) pieces of art. They're just regular people going about their their business. But he's seeing them and um, seeing the artistry in their life. We meet two characters at the beginning, Gabriel Syme and uh, Lucian Gregory. And Lucian Gregory is like street preaching, I guess in a garden um, in the park. And he is preaching anarchy. <laughs> and he's, you know, claiming all of the things that come along with that bombing and fire and etc. And Syme is an undercover police detective. And he goes and basically refutes uh, Lucian's words. Uh, Lucian gets very upset with him and ends up following him later that night and asking him to come with him. And he's like, I got to prove something to you. OK, I got to show you something. I'm I'm the real deal. Yeah. So do <laughs> you want to say something, Grace? Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, like, both of them present themselves as poets. Yes. Um, but they have opposite but they have opposite philosophies of poetry. Um, and one of my favorite parts is when they go off talking about the trains. I don't know if we mentioned that before, but they were they were talking about um, like basically Gregory Lucian Gregory's whole thing is like anarchy is is poetry. Like, yes, your poetry is anarchy. Like it, the crazier it is, the more unexpected it is, like the better it is, the more poetic it is. And Syme argues the exact opposite. He's like, no, the most poetic thing in the world is like the train timetable yes. like, that you read that that you can you know, depend the train on says it. it's going to arrive. Yeah. And the train's going to arrive at this place at this time. And like, by God, it does. And that is poetry. Like that is man being able to kind of wrangle chaos and like bring order out of chaos. And like that is the most poetic thing possible so they have these like opposite philosophies they're arguing and then the reason why Gregory gets so angry is because Syme um, basically says you're all talk like you say that anarchy is the thing but you don't really believe it like and that just really grinds his gears (laughs) and he's like what what do you mean I don't actually believe it you know so that's what really kind of sets them up for this whole adventure 
Very good. And yes, as they, uh, right before they take off together, where um, uh, Gregory is taking Syme, they have this conversation about a lamppost and a tree. And it's exactly what Grace was talking about. Um, he thinks the tree is anarchy with all of its naturalness and its leaves and its branches that extend everywhere. And that the the lamppost is just this dead, you know, institutional thing and blah, blah, blah. And mm. Anyway, it's a great conversation. So he takes them with him. They end up in this dirty little pub that has amazing food and drinks. <laughs> and they're sitting at this little round table together chatting and then all of a sudden the table shoots down through the floor he says you know we're going somewhere and uh they end up in this cavernous underground space um and there's a door with all of these weapons on it and they enter through using a um code word which was what was it something chamberlain Oh, yeah. Um, Nicholas Chamberlain or something like that. It was something else. It was another Chamberlain. Anywho, they have this code word. Maybe it was just Mr. Chamberlain. Yeah. And then they they enter in and the next thing that ensues is that they find out who the other really is. So Syme finds out that Gregory truly is an anarchist, part of a underground anarchist society. And they make each other basically swear secrecy uh-huh. and Syme reveals to him that he's a detective. So as he enters into this secret meeting that night, um, it turns out that they're voting for the position of Thursday. So there are these anarchists who represent every day of the week, except for Sunday. That's the president Sunday. And the man who was Thursday died. And so they're reelecting a new person or not re-electing, they're electing a new person. And um, Lucian Gregory thinks that he's going to be voted for. He thinks that he's going to go off and be this great, important Thursday. Basically, Syme is a very smart trickster of a man, and he gets himself voted the man who was Thursday. And because they swore each other to secrecy, Gregory can't tell everyone that he's a police detective. So he takes off in a boat with a sword cane, which is hilarious because Chesterton had a bunch of sword canes. Yeah. I have held one of them. Oh, and, that's so cool. <laughs> and he's got this cloak and sword cane and a little briefcase, I think. And he goes off with these other two men who are just leading him to go meet the crew, the, the weak crew. I won't give the rest of the story in such detail. He meets the group. It's a quite a bunch. Mm-hmm. Sunday is this massive presence and this massive man. And he's terrifying. And he's afraid for his life when he sees him. They have breakfast together in the open. Mm-hmm. This whole group of people, these seven men. And one of them is outed as a police detective. And Syme thinks it's going to be him. Yeah. But it ends up being one of the other guys who's in disguise. So the rest of the story is basically these men, one at a time, trying to stop the anarchist plans because they're all secretly police detectives. And so each one loses their disguise and discovers each other. And then they team up on the other side. They're like, okay, we're both police detectives. Let's let's get this guy. Mm -hmm. They end up all chasing Sunday 
on this wild adventure. He's in a hot air balloon at some point. Yeah, at first Sunday is chasing them and then they start yes. chasing him. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's just madness. And then so they don't catch him. He lets them catch him. They end up at this estate where there's this wild masquerade sort of party going on, but it's very like otherworldly. And yeah. They basically all sit down at at a meal with him. Uh or they sit down at a table with him and they ask him all these questions about why did you deceive us basically what was your purpose what who are you what's going on like trying to get answers mm-hmm. and i guess an important detail that i skipped over at the beginning was that all of these private police detectives were hired by a massive man in a pitch black room that they never saw mm-hmm. and then they find out throughout the course of the book that it was sunday who hired them and also sunday who engaged them as anarchists <laughs> And so the end is this kind of philosophical jumble of questions and them trying to come to some sort of understanding. And then Gregory comes back on the scene and has all these complaints about how he wants to destroy the world, basically. And he's this satanic figure. Mm -hmm. And then the book ends with the dream ending and Syme walking along with Gregory and they see his sister. At the end, they see Gregory's sister. So, <laughs> if that's not cray cray, I don't know yeah. what. What was the first time you read it? Like, when you finally got to the end, like, what were you thinking? Do you remember? I literally was like, what the hell did I just read? <laughs> also, the it, particularly the last chapter when I was like, yeah. Sunday is good and quote unquote bad he's like an anarchist (laughs) and he's a police chief like who is this guy yeah i just i was just re-listening to near the end and they're kind of it's like right before they go to sunday's house and they're talking and one of the things that um they say is like they're talking about going basically going to stand up to sunday and like demand that he tell them who he is yeah um and they say something about like how one of them is afraid. I think it's like Dr. Bull. One of them is afraid to to ask. Um, and they're like, why are you afraid to ask? And he's like, because I'm afraid that he'll tell me, you know. Mm-hmm. And then one of the things that Syme says is like, I kind of think that we're not going to ask him what he means, but we're going to ask him what we mean. Mm. Um, and so there's all this like really interesting like. Yeah. philosophical stuff so like when you first read it like what were you did you have any notion or did you kind of figure out like what you think like who you think Sunday is I still am not sure who Sunday is Grace but I'm kind of hoping we figure yeah. it out today I guess my instinct is <laughs> and if you're a scholar listening and you know better than me don't don't be yeah remember don't that be laughing this is at an me. amateur podcast yeah. we are just normal people reading chesterton we are yeah. not scholars that's the whole point of this podcast yeah. so yeah if you know better than us it's a safe us. this is a, a safe space to speak yeah. um <laughs> no i so. thought oh sunday is god yeah um because and uh, i really want to get into this with you but and yeah. let's just do it let's go yeah um, let's go when people look at scripture um, the Old Testament and the New Testament, 
often a problem that people run into is that, uh, personally, is that they find the Old Testament God to be a different God than the New Testament. Mm. They, they see incongruity between the God of the Old and the God of the New. And they also think that the God of the Old Testament often is cruel and bad mm. and um, has ill like intentions. Stuff. Yeah. And that Jesus and the God of the New Testament is this all loving, all merciful, etc. Yeah. Like these are two different people. And something that I kept seeing, oh, and I guess I should just say, it's the same God of the Old Testament and the New Testament <laughs> yeah. and takes people time to come to that um, conclusion, but it's true. And what I kept seeing in this novel is especially at the end when all of these six men are discussing who is Sunday? Why, like, who is this person we're chasing? What, why has he been like mm. puppeteering us around this, this town? I, I saw this connection because they kept saying they kind of loved him, but they were kind of, they kind <laughs> of didn't like him and he was scary and they were afraid of him. Yeah. But they also like, and like, yeah. <laughs> so I have, a, I have actually a quote here. They experience love and fear and anger simultaneously. After all, he said, it is very beautiful. It is singularly and strangely beautiful, said the professor. I wish the beastly gas bag would burst. <laughs> and he's talking about the hot air balloon that Sunday is in. And then, no, said Dr. Bull. I hope it won't. It might hurt the old boy. <laughs> hurt him, said the vindictive professor. Hurt him. Not as much as I'd hurt him if I could get up with him. Little snowdrop. I, I don't want him hurt somehow, said Dr. Bull. And so it's like, they're angry at him. But at the same time, it's like, oh, we kind of love him and like don't want anything to happen to him. But we also don't understand him. Yeah. Um, and then I guess along the same lines with Sunday being God in my understanding of the text, I found it sort of funny how they all are very different. There's six very different people and how the Lord made an entire world and past generations of so many different people, but he loves each and every one of us mm -hmm. and sees each and every one of us and understands each and every one of us, has a plan for us, etc. And how he has a plan for all of these people and these six men who are so very different are all drawn to the same thing yeah in the end and they all want to discover what this man's plan for them was mm. like what were you planning for us you clearly wanted something mm. for us yeah and what was that they're all so different like you said and they have different kind of approaches and philosophies and it, it was really interesting when they finally all discovered that they were on the same side mm. um like kind of the deepening of the camaraderie or whatever that they had they experienced um they like don't they like all go out to get a drink or something yeah. I don't know like I feel like and they're like explaining to each other wait like but when you did this like what did that mean and they're kind of like figuring it all out and it just reminds me of like when people kind of discover yeah that they're really all searching for the same thing and they're really all kind of in the same boat we we tend to think in like us versus them yeah um terms yeah but really like you know one of chesterton's quotes like we're all in the same boat and we're all seasick like we all are <laughs> yes. looking for the same thing 
and we don't know what it is and we're all confused and we're all frustrated and we're all longing and like it's yeah it's like we we are all on the same side and we think that we're enemies but really the true enemy is not like our neighbor or our brother you know like we think or even god our differences. like we think yeah sometimes. or god which is interesting yeah because yeah. we think like oh he's working against us um and really he is on our side um yeah but it can seem so different and so confusing and that's the thing that i think this is this is the fourth time that i read this book um just now and it's really, I think the first time it's on some level made sense to me. Mm. Um, and I think, I think it also is the first time, I think I mentioned in, in our introductory episode that I've been reading through the, the book of Job kind of periodically and sporadically throughout this last year and a half or so. And yeah. it's really the first time in my life that I've been able to again kind of understand that book on some level but when I say understand I don't mean like you know totally comprehend as if it's like something to be explained away um kind of the whole gist of Job is to emphasize the great mystery of God and Mm -hmm. that God truly is so far beyond us and his plans and his purposes are real and they have reasons but we like in principle could never be able to understand even if he tried to explain them to us. Um, And there's a weird consolation that Job experiences at the end where he is suffering so greatly um, and he doesn't understand why. And that's the whole like, you know, purpose of the, of the book is like wrestling with this idea of suffering, especially undeserved quote unquote suffering, you know, and, when God finally speaks at the end, you know, and Job's expressing all of these like emotions that all of the detectives are expressing in Thursday, you know, they're like, they're, we love him. We're angry at him. We get him. We don't get him. We're like confused. We think we're fighting for him or maybe we're fighting against him. Like we don't really know, you know, and Job is, is sort of similar and he's wrestling and his three friends are like trying to help him, but it's just, he's just like, no, that's not it. No, that's not it. You know? And, um, and by the end, God actually appears and Job questions him to his face and God turns all the questions back on Job, you know, and starts Mm -hmm. asking him, And basically reveals to Job in his questioning, like, how could you even question me? Like, I created you, you know, like I created everything. And like, how could you even begin to comprehend my reasons? And it's interesting because Job experiences this consolation and this almost like this deeper knowing and this like deeper peace Mm -hmm. because he knows that he's like not actually in control of anything Um, but that God is and that even if he never comprehends or understands like there there is something that God is like holding together I don't know and I I think recently just like going through some things in my life and like experiencing a suffering and seems incomprehensible and like not really understanding why and they're just like maybe not even being a clear answer as to why yeah, I do experience some sort of consolation and knowing that God is and his plans are far more mysterious mm. than what I could ever comprehend. And I think when Simon, the detectives finally encounter Sunday and they question him to his face, sort of like Job does, um, and he starts putting all these questions back on them. And it's it's like even more confusing. <laughs> like there's no yes. clear answer. But like, that's mm. the point. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know? It's like, oh, 
so much bigger. So I also think that Sunday is God. Mm, and good. I've read okay. I've read a couple of different essays. Like one was arguing that maybe Sunday was like nature or something, but I don't find that as compelling. I think like the different things that Sunday says to them and the different things they say to Sunday and their questioning, it just seems extremely biblical to me. It seems like the same questions that you could ask and apply to God. Um, and especially like you said that new Testament, old Testament, like even that tension, that balance yeah. between the two like sides of God or whatever, um, in some way. Yeah. I know the fact that he says, um, I am God's peace. Mm. It made me think, what is God's goodness, capital G, God's mm. uh, beauty, God's love, God himself, right? He is the fount mm. of all these things. So it's like, I don't know, to me that said, I am God. And also he asked them the question, can you drink from the cup that I right. partake of? Yeah, that's a fascinating part too, because you have Gregory questioning uh, basically accusing like you know satan the accuser or whatever accusing mm. sunday like why would you you know do this and, and he says have you ever suffered yeah and sunday says here i'm just gonna read this yeah read it yeah <laughs> he says um sorry give me one moment oh yes he says he had turned his eyes so as to see suddenly the great face of sunday which wore a strange smile have you, he cried in a dreadful voice, have you ever suffered? As he gazed, the great face grew to an awful size, grew larger than the colossal mask of Memnon, which had made him scream as a child. It grew larger and larger, filling the whole sky. Then everything went black. Only in the blackness, before it entirely destroyed his brain, he seemed to hear a distant voice saying a commonplace text that he had heard somewhere. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of? <laughs> so yeah i want to go back a little bit before we discuss the whole final scene yeah yeah we are going to get more into the final scene but i want to go off of something that you just said which was in connection with the book of job and these six men mm. so syme particularly who's our main character in chapter four chesterton describes him as a righteous man right? Mm. He was raised by two parents who were extreme one way and another. The father was extremely loose in his morals and beliefs and living, and the mother was extremely puritanical the other direction. Mm -hmm. And uh, Chesterton talks about how he, because of that, automatically like went straight down the middle. You know what I mean? He was like, <laughs> yeah. I want justice. I want clarity. I want, mm -hmm. you know, I want to understand my life. So Gabriel is that righteous man. He's that, yeah. he is Job. He's, he's, he's Job. Yeah. pursuing goodness and truth and justice. Yeah. And yet, he's clearly not perfect. Mm -hmm. So the next question I hope you have an answer for because I've been thinking about it and I need help with it. <laughs> Why did Sunday hire them to be police detectives? Yeah. No, and I I think uh like my only response to that is yes. <laughs> like that's the point. Like like uh why why did Sunday hire like why does Job suffer? Why do we suffer? Why 
our, does our life run the way that our life runs? Why do we go down these journeys and these rabbit holes and these experiences? Why do we meet the people that we meet? Why do we think that someone's, someone is our enemy and actually they're our friend? You know, like, why do we, <laughs> like, that's, ah. I think like that is the question. Like, I think that is like the whole thing is that we don't know. <laughs> we don't know why Sunday hired them to be police detectives. Like there, there are certain you know, answers that, okay, maybe God, yeah, wanted me to encounter this person so that I could learn something deeper about myself and my nature and to learn that, yeah, we're in this boat together, like to build camaraderie among men, like to um, experience something deeper, you know, than we would have experienced if we had stayed at home on our couch, you know, whatever. Like, I, I think there's like little, little things just like in life, like little lessons and little things that we can glean. But the ultimate reason, the ultimate purpose of like how everything is running the way that it's running. Like, I think that's exactly what Job is trying to ask God. And God's like, I could not even begin to explain it to you, even if I tried. Yeah. Because you can't comprehend my mind. Mm. Like, I am so much bigger, so much further. Like, my ways are so far above your ways. My thoughts are so far above your thoughts. Like, my purposes are incomprehensible to you. Your brain is not big enough. <laughs> like, my mind is so much bigger. Like, you're just a mere creation of an almighty God. Yeah. Yeah, and he Chesterton is describing Sunday constantly as like giant and huge and big and I, and like that's how God is presented in the book of Job as well that it's just like he's massive. He's incomprehensible. It's like um he reveals himself and when Simon first sees Sunday, he sees his back, right? Yes. Doesn't he? Yep, he sees him on the back of the balcony. Yeah. Yeah, and he sees his back and it's like it's enormous, it's massive and um and he's like filled with dread just at the sight of his back. Yeah. Yeah. And it's sort of like Moses, you know, like seeing like God allows him to see his back or whatever and you can see like that's interesting. Yeah. One side of him or you can see him like through his creation. There's a part near the end too when they're all discussing or when Sunday maybe is is talking to them at the house. I can't remember when. Um, And he says like, you know, you, Dr. Buller, you're a scientist, like study all of the roots of the trees and you, Syme, you're a poet, like look at the clouds and see what you can glean from like the beauty of the clouds. Um, He's like, but do all these things, get to the root of it, but you'll still never comprehend who I am Mm. I I just think he's he's like there's all these different avenues there's all these different ways that we can see God's back like we can get at him like in some way but we'll never be able to completely put him in a box and completely understand him and completely comprehend him and we'll never not on this earth yeah and, and even in heaven even in heaven because God is infinite and we are finite so it's literally impossible for us to fit something infinite in our head what is that that chesterton quote that's so good i think it may have been from orthodoxy um about how like the poet tries to get in his his Mm -hmm. head in the heavens but the who's the opposite it's not scientist but some math mathematician yeah tries to get the heavens in his head or something like yeah and the mathematician is the one who goes crazy yeah yeah, because it's like you're you're trying to quantify and you're trying to explain and you're trying to like put into terms, you know, like everything that God it's sort of like 
Thomas Aquinas at the end of his life, he like writes the Summa and he's writing all of these very logical questions and well thought out things. And it's beautiful and it's amazing. And we're really getting at something of God in his writing. But at the end of his life, he sees God or he has some sort of mystical experience where he experiences God and he literally stops writing and he's like, it's all straw. It's all, it's all straw. Like I'm not, I'm Mm. everything that I've done in my life. It like doesn't even begin to get at who God really is. It sort of makes me tremble to think about that. Like, yeah, I, uh, it's kind of, it is kind of a scary thought that like, yeah, this, this person that we love, we really don't even know a fraction of who and what he is. Yeah. Although we're trying to, and he calls us to try to know him. Right. And I think it's, um, you know, back to the, if, if we can go back to the end where, yeah. um, they speak of suffering, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like really, it's beautiful because Job is in the old Testament, you know, and we're getting this kind of vague and mysterious and large and transcendent kind of picture of God, which is all true. Mm-hmm. Um, but the beauty of God is that he becomes man, you know, and yes. it's like, kind of Sunday entering into their lives or whatever Uh, but but the suffering like can you drink can you drink of this cup it's like referencing the suffering of Christ on the cross you know like he has to go through death and experience the suffering that we experience yes um in order to bring us redemption and it's like God didn't have to do that you know but he does and he makes himself one of us so that he can experience this like existential crisis that we all experience this suffering and this death and um And so it's like he is so intimate and so near to us Mm. on so many levels. Um, So there's this like scary, mysterious nature of God. But yet there's this close, intimate, like I'm willing to suffer like with you and for you and through you. And, you know, Mm. that a God so other as Sunday would be able to relate to us on such an intimate level because it takes such humility for him to Mm. do that to bring himself down to our level it's actually continually mind-blowing to think about the fact that we are just mere creatures and that the only reason that we have dignity and worth is because he gives us dignity and worth he's an incredibly loving god but we also see in this book and in scripture, he's not just, um, oh, it's not cheap love. <laughs> it's not trite. It's true love. It's, it's yeah. what's best it's for us. Love. Yeah. Yeah. And it's messy and it's beyond our comprehension. Speaking of complexity. Yeah. Um, one of the questions that I had for you was, what does GKC want us to take from this novel about God? What does he, what does he want us to learn from this novel about God? What is he trying to show us? Mm-hmm. And I think we've been kind of explaining it a bit, but what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think humility, like you said. I think I think that humility is really seeing 2020. Mm-hmm. Like humility is is clarity to recognize who we actually are. You know, it's like Syme says, like, I think we're going to go to Sunday and we, what we really want to know is for him to tell us who we are or what we are or why we are, you know, um, and not the other way around. 
And I think that when we see who we are in terms of God, uh, we see that we're just the creature and that God is so far beyond us as the creator um, that there's actually like a, a freedom and a joy and a peace that comes from that, just like it does for Job. Mm. Um, and I think that's something that Chesterton experienced in his own life. Like, I really think that this book, I mean, all, all of the books that Chesterton writes, we talked about this before, have elements of like autobiography. Like he's yeah, expressing yeah. things that he himself has experienced and even his own autobiography his book he talks about how it's not just like the story of his life like in terms of facts and like this is what's happened in my life like chronologically but it's a story of his own like intellectual and spiritual development like kind of what he's thinking about the world and about himself and about the universe and all this kind of stuff and one of the things that um you know sets up this book is the the dedication of bentley which we read in the last episode And he talks about how like Bentley is going to understand this book and it's going to be difficult for everybody else to understand. And I think it's because just biographically speaking, him and Bentley both went through this period where they were really trying to get the heavens in their head Mm. in a sense. They -hmm. weren't really religious. They were like trying to understand things, comprehend things. They were trying to, yeah, just like get to the bottom of stuff. And while that isn't necessarily bad, there's a sort of arrogance that I think Chesterton encountered in university, um, like when he was in the art school and just like there was all these people that he was hanging around. And it's like in his later works that we all read today, like he just sort of laughs at the arrogance of various philosophers and scientists and like authors and different people who just like think that they've got it all figured out, you know? Yeah. And Chesterton's like, none of us have it all figured out. You know, it's like this, we're, we're trying to be so like, we're going to try to sound so smart. We're trying to sound so like we've got it all put together. And like when he was hanging out with all kinds of people, he started going kind of down these, um, dark pathways and, um, Mm -hmm. It led him to a very, very super dark place where he was sort of on the brink of, you know, we don't really know, maybe even suicide. And he kind of had this like flashing moment where he realized that like that darkness is not really the truth that like at the bottom of all of that kind of dark confusion and the the fact that we can't really get our mind around all of these things is like it's actually not a bad thing. Mm. but it's like a good thing and he could kind of like let go and surrender and he experienced this light that like the grounding of all things is not like that darkness but this light that's just like beyond our comprehension it's almost like it's so bright that we're blinded you know and that's the darkness that we experience is like Mm. the blinding light um and so it's actually good and he like it's like he walks up out into the light and like laughs you know and is like oh like and becomes one of the clearest most reasonable voices of the century and he's or beyond he's humble and he's and he laughs and he's funny we keep talking about how funny he is like in all of his works and stuff and I think when you take yourself too seriously you're not funny you know yeah and um he just has this joy that comes from this humility of recognizing that God is God and he is not Mm. you know and I think that's what Job has at the end of the book as well where he recognizes like oh like gosh like I was wrong, you know, like I wasn't wrong, but I was wrong. Like I didn't, I don't know everything. Like, and there's something comforting in that in a weird way. Yeah. Um, And I think that's what Chesterton wants us to understand if I had to, you know, make an educated guess. Um, And him and Bentley, you know, he talks about it in the dedication that 
they kind of went through this dark path together this time where they were wrestling with all these things and like what is the meaning of the universe and what is you know all these different things and went through that dark period and then they both sort of woke up one day and recognized uh god and they f- they found god and they found a creed he says in the dedication that they like both become and i don't know if bentley became catholic um i don't actually have a note i don't have a note about that but i know they at least became anglican you know if not catholic but something very similar and so they they embrace this creed and they they kind of settle down and they get married they fall in love they get married and they just like live this life and they have this joy that um they didn't have before and they have this peace that they didn't have before i think it's interesting that the concept of peace you know because sunday you were talking about earlier how he says that he's the peace of god Mm -hmm. the sabbath rest you know you're finally able to rest when you recognize that nothing really like it doesn't all depend on you you know that you're not actually the center of everything you know and the one who has to have it all figured out and there's a peace and a rest that comes from that so i don't know that's my take i don't know if that's all of what chesterton was trying to say but um that's kind of the the idea that i get from it reading that in tandem with job is the humility and the peace and the joy that can only come from that humility of recognizing who we are before god i love that um, I want to I want to ask you now about something that I think directly connects to what you were just talking about, which is our understanding or lack of understanding of God and the good works that we do. So each of these men in the novel, mm. primarily Syme is who we see most clearly, but they think they're doing good, right? Mm-hmm. Their goal is good, goodness. Like they want to put a stop to anarchist bombings and lawlessness and chaos and whatever they're they're doing good they're trying to accomplish good but the good that they're trying to accomplish isn't exactly what they're actually accomplishing and there's this other thing going on much bigger thing going on behind it is gk chesterton saying anything about the good work that we do Mm. um, or the good work that we think we're doing yeah or is he saying that in being open to i guess this is the second question is he saying when we're open to god and and the plans that he has for us it's very unexpected Mm. how the lord accomplishes things in us and what are your thoughts what are your thoughts about that (laughs) yeah no i mean i think that's that's a really interesting point and i think that's right i mean i think that yeah we do i mean you could just take it in terms of um what's happening in the in the bible right so like go back to the old testament you know and there's all these things that are happening that are very like tangible physical events you know you think about the red the parting of the red sea and you think about the israelites wandering in the desert and you know just like the whole journey of israel like in the old testament um all of these uh miracles that happen all of these very particular things that you know different kings that are raised up or prophets that are raised up and they say things and they do things and they're trying to follow the will of god and and god uses those things on a much grander scale than they could have ever imagined and mm-hmm. the, even the things that happen to them which means something to them truly right then and there mm-hmm. in their relationship with God um, means something even greater on the whole scale of, you know, salvation history and stuff. And they, there's all this typology, you know, there's all these things that are being foreshadowed by the events mm. of the old Testament, but that doesn't mean that the events of the old Testament were just sort of like 
a myth to explain something like there are actually things that are happening in history but they're they have a dual purpose yeah and and sometimes more than just dual sometimes there's like yeah yeah like tons of layers it's like an onion you know there's like tons of layers to to what's going on and there's no way that we can ever comprehend all of it but god knows you know and it's really beautiful yeah to see it all working together and i just i just went to a talk um there's a great professor in our community here at this church that I go to, and he is a theology professor at a local university. And um, he gave a talk about scripture, and he was talking about that that, like, when you read scripture, God can mean so many different things by one, you know, <laughs> thing that happens, like one event or one encounter. Um, and it can mean something on so many different levels and it can be applied in so many different ways. And I think that's really true about the things that we do. It's like, yeah, we have free will and God can still use, like he can still orchestrate like things through our free choices, which is just mind blowing, you know, that his providence can, can work, um, can work things out and, the things that we do can have a meaning here and now um, that we can partially comprehend, you know, and then they can have a meaning or several meanings that like maybe we never even knew. Yeah. You know? Yeah. How they're working out. And he accomplishes that, accomplishes showing us that with these six men from very different walks of life, different people with different ways of thinking about things. He's accomplishing his will, which we don't completely understand even what his will is in this story, I don't think. Except maybe that he wants us to come to him. Yeah. Pursue him and sit down at the table with him. Yeah. Which is actually quite a beautiful image. Yeah, that is actually, I had not considered that, but it is, it's the feast, you know, yeah. it's, the, it's the feast at the end. It's like the culmination. It's the Sabbath rest. It's the, you know, it's like we, we go to mass on Sunday. Why? Because we're resting and we're worshiping. And like those two things are kind of similar. It's like, yeah, communing with God, resting with God at his table, worshiping him, bringing, yeah, bringing us together. And there's a, there's a true communion that happens even without our own total comprehension of this person that we love and who loves us. Yeah. It's mysterious. It's very, very mysterious. So the, the last formal question that I have, and then we're open for anything else you want to talk about is, um, that this book is called a nightmare. How are we to understand that? And how are we to understand the final scene of Lucy? Uh, I'm sorry, is it Lucian? I don't know. Lucy and Lucian, either way. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Simon Gregory walking along together at the end, peacefully, it would seem, chatting. Yeah. After, yeah. after a scene where Gregory was depicted as Satan at yeah. the banquet okay <laughs> yeah. let me just, just really preface it with that and then say what the heck does this mean like yeah why is it called a nightmare yeah what is the meaning of how he wakes up uh-huh i don't know i like yeah i don't know but i wonder if basically there's a real person gregory you know who has sort of espoused these ideas of anarchy, you know, as a human person and he's wrestling with them and he's thinking that they're true and whatever. Um, And the whole adventure that ensues maybe is a dream, Mm. you know, and 
in Syme's dream, Gregory is like representative of Satan, you know, or mm. something. Or in Sunday is sort of like in this sort of like allegorical, like you guys are the days of the week, like the days of creation and, you know, all these kinds of things, sort of like this allegory that he's like not actually Satan, but it's like meant to like paint a picture or like show us something, I don't know, yeah. about the universe or about God. And he's sort of like playing that role. But in reality, he's just a person like Simon and the rest of the detectives, um, if the rest of the detectives exist. I don't yeah. Know. Um, why do you why do you think he calls it a nightmare and not a dream? Well, I think it's kind of what you said earlier that like when we experience God and kind of recognize our smallness mm -hmm. before him, it's kind of terrifying. Mm. You know, when we get glimpses of the truth, you know, it's like we can't handle it's almost <laughs> the whole truth much. of who God is. Yeah. Like, yeah, and it's like we can't. And it's mm. scary. And I think especially if we're prideful, it's scary because we recognize that we're not in control. Ultimately, it really reminds me of um, of Moses, like you mentioned earlier, coming down off the mountain, being completely transformed by experiencing God in the burning bush. Right. Yeah. And also other instances of like people being very scared of angels. Yeah. And like the terrifying appearances of angels. Like they're not like this little cherubic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not my baby <laughs> with wings. Yeah, yeah. They're like these fearsome creatures. Yeah. Well, the the people tell Moses, they're like, you go talk to God. Like we don't want to go. We're terrified. We don't want to talk to God. Like it's going to melt our faces off. Like you go talk to God. Like, you know, if he's going to allow you to be in his presence, but like not us, we're not going to approach, you know, we're not going to come near. Um, yeah. And there's this crazy paradox now with the incarnation that we do get very near to God, you know, without having our faces melted off. But at the same time, like we don't see the totality. There's a veil still, you know? Um, yeah. And when we do get glimpses of it, it's, yeah, it's scary. It's terrifying. It's actually yeah. a great compliment if in scripture and in this book, being brought face to face with God in some, even yeah. in, even if it's like not in the full capacity of God, like in his fullness, he's like revealing a part of himself. It is a great compliment in order to experience him like that. Mm. Yeah. And God, he has this humility that he's able to even come to us like on a level that we can like somehow comprehend so that we can handle it or whatever, you know, and just thinking about like, you know, in our faith and thinking about the Eucharist, like how humble, how simple that we could approach, you know, this sort of terrifying, like mystery of God, mm. the God of the universe, mm. um, just by something so basic and simple and earthy, you know? Yes. Um, but that's, I think, reveals the goodness of God at the heart of everything like Chesterton experienced, that it's not actually, even though it is like terrifying and mysterious and whatever and, and somewhat of a nightmare, like to kind of recognize that I really don't know anything, mm. that I'm super in the dark, like I don't have anything figured out. I'm not in control of anything. Like that is scary. It's like you're thrown into the deep end and you're like I don't know what I'm doing you know but at the same time God reveals his goodness in that he becomes one of us you know yeah. he suffers with us and for us he makes himself humble enough to for us to approach him even though he is this great mystery um, and so really at the at the bedrock of all things like God himself is not darkness but it's this light mm. that's too bright for us to see 
I think that's just so beautifully said. I've never thought about it like that before. The blinding light of God. I just had a thought and you tell me if this is crazy, but this seems like Chesterton to me. So it seems like all of these detectives are single young guys. Some of them are in disguise as older men, but they're all young men. Yeah. And they're all like on this kind of like zealous pursuit of justice. Their, their life is overcome with this pursuit of shutting down anarchy. And the book ends with Syme seeing the sister with red hair. Mm. And mm-hmm. it sort of... And at the beginning of the story, he meets the sister in the, in the nightmare. And he, he talks to the sister for a long time and he thinks she's beautiful, I think. And mm-hmm. she's worried about her brother, who's the anarchist. And she's like, he's not really going to throw bombs, right? Like, he's going to be safe. He's going to, he's just like talking, right? He's all talk. Yeah. She's like bringing some sense to the situation. He, Syme, is answering anarchy with poetry, basically. Mm-hmm. And she's like, uh, I want to know that people aren't going to actually be throwing bombs here. Like, <laughs> I just need to know that right now. Like, I'm yeah. going to look out for my brother here. And then... At the end, we see her again, and she's, like, picking flowers or something. She's in a garden. She's gardening. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I'd have to look at the end of the story again. But I wonder if he's also saying we're not meant to go it alone, and he was a big proponent for family. Yeah. And, um, like, he meets this beautiful red-haired woman at the beginning of the story and, like, mm-hmm. doesn't... He's just thinking about philosophies and ideas and poetry, and he's, like, not thinking at all about the fact that there's this mm-hmm. virtuous, beautiful woman sitting in front of him. Anyway, mm-hmm. it's just an interesting thought. I wonder if he's trying to make a some subtle push towards family also. It, there's a whole thing on Twitter right now about touch grass. Do you know what this is? No. Um, so people – Twitter is a strange and – terrible nightmaric place right people have all these philosophies and all these thoughts and they are sometimes so out of left field that you're like worried for the state of the world you know and um people will literally they'll say to people who are going off on these crazy tangents of weird philosophies and like whatever like people will be like oh my gosh touch grass what does that mean go outside and like root yourself in the reality of Mm, like mm. the world and creation and get out of your head and out of your crazy theories and out of your like madness like Chesterton describes in orthodoxy like like you are nuts go touch something real yeah like like it's like basically akin to saying wake up and smell the roses like actually like like touch something real you know wow like actually like go outside and like encounter reality like because you're living in your head and it's like not it's it's like actually making you come unhinged like you're not really you think you're logically figuring everything out and actually you're doing the opposite like you're spinning you know in this madness or whatever and um and so it's yeah I think maybe maybe the woman um, I can't remember her name what is her name Gregory's sister oh I want to call her um, Rebecca but I don't think that's her name let me see yeah, it's something with a rose, like Rosalind or something. Uh, or like he loves that name because it reminded me of. He loves. That I know name. anything with rose. Uh, let me see. Rosamond. 
Ros- oh, it is Rosamond. Okay. Yeah. I thought Rosamond was one of the ones from Man Alive, too. I think, was that Rosalind? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, it. so I'm wondering if, the, if Rosamond, if she is sort of like the, you know, I went through this whole adventure in my mind. I went through like kind of wrestling with these philosophies and these thoughts and like what is reality and all of these things. And I wake up from my dream. It's sort of like Adam sleeping the sleep you know, and then he wakes up and he sees Eve, you know? Yeah. And it's like, ah, like here is the incarnation of like, here's reality, like something real. Yeah. Like here is another person, this like beautiful, mysterious, like, but yet concrete and like real and tangible, like way of getting at the purpose and meaning of life and love. And like, I don't know, like, I just got to read this. I got to, I think you're right. I think you're right. I got to read this fine. This is the final paragraph of the book. And this is what I've been referring to. Dawn was breaking over everything in colors at once clear and timid, as if nature made a first attempt at yellow and a first attempt at rose. A breeze blew so clean and sweet that one could not think that it blew from the sky. It blew rather from some hole in the sky. Syme felt a simple surprise when he saw rising all round him on both sides of the road the red irregular buildings of Saffron Park. That's where the story began. Mm. He had no idea that he had walked so near London. He walked by instinct along one white road on which early birds hopped and sang and found himself outside a fenced garden. There he saw the sister of Gregory, the girl with the gold-red hair, cutting lilac before breakfast with the great unconscious gravity of a girl. It's just, you know what it kind of reminds me of? I'm like, I know I'm grasping at straws here because I, like I probably should have gone and read some articles about this or something, but it kind of reminds me of the end of C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy. Oh my gosh. Oh, I haven't read the end. I've only read the first, I've only read the first two books. Um, so I'm not going to go into great detail because I don't want to ruin it for you read all three they are fantastic but at the end of that hideous strength it ends with a very simple scene between man and wife yeah encountering each other the man coming home to his wife yeah and if i'm remembering it correctly it's been a couple years but um (laughs) it's like these simple sweet beautiful familial personal interactions just trump all of the rest of like what we everything that just talked about and maybe i'm saying that because i'm a woman and i'm relational and i (laughs) just appreciate i don't know no i think there's a reality to it because again like why why would god make this relationship like this marriage as like an icon of himself Mm. who is the ground of all things you know like i don't know it just makes sense to me i just i I take a lot from Chesterton's suggestion in orthodoxy when he's talking about going mad and sometimes like you're trying to figure everything out and yeah, get the heavens in your head and you go mad and then you walk outside and you do something very concrete and then this is like the remedy, you know, it's like it kind of resets your brain and like gets you to again, like touch grass, like it's actually mm. something that can cure you, you know, um, see something and, and experience something really concrete. 
that's what he experiences in Man Alive, you know, in the whole scene with the professor and the gun and like all of that kind of stuff. And he's like out on the ledge and he watches the sunrise and he's looking at the houses and the, what is it, like the polka dot curtains or something like that he sees in the houses and, and the ducks and, and he's noticing things that are tangible that he can see. And I have experienced a lot recently of just like these moments of kind of darkness and sadness and like trying to figure things out and try to like understand like what God is doing or why or like what are the purposes of things and like like yesterday I was I was driving around town and I was kind of in one of these modes of thinking and I just noticed the craftsmanship of like literally the concrete sides of like an interstate overpass Mm. like I was Mm. just like driving and there's like these ones in town that they have like a architectural detail to them or whatever and I just remember like looking at them and it just like shaking me awake all of a sudden and it had nothing to do with anything that I was thinking of but it was like something tangible something real that just kind of like rooted me or grounded me again or like shook me out of this like yes I don't know and I I think Chesterton was really on to something and it was something that came from his deep personal experience of being shaken awake from this darkness, from this like kind of nightmarish, like spinning, you know, in his own mind. I had a guy come in my office the other day. This is crazy because it's like exactly what we were talking about. Um, You know, people come in my office and they're, they talk to me about becoming Catholic or wanting to know more or this guy had just graduated from college and he was already Catholic, but he said he had been away and um, he was in a a scientific program, some kind of like computer programming or or something like that. Okay. And he's like, I, I had read Augustine and Aquinas and like all these things. And I basically was trying to use the computer programming, like logic. He's like, it's basically a glorified logic program, right? Computer programming or whatever. And he's like, so I was trying to literally like plug the faith into this like logical system and like come out with an answer like is it true is it not and I was like wow (laughs) he's like and so I did this for like you know a year or something he's like and I was like doing all this stuff and working it all out and and basically at one point like his brain split and he was like I can't this is confusing like I can't comprehend like what I can't fit it into this computer program like I can't wow make sense out of it only this way wow um and we've talked about this before in orthodoxy like when you have logic and nothing else it's not actually logic Mm. like because we weren't made to just figure things out you know without everything else around us and all our other senses and experiences and you know um and so he said for a while I left the church because I couldn't reconcile it I couldn't understand I couldn't comprehend um he's like and then I realized that if I want to understand it I have to live it Mm. and that in the living it, I might actually comprehend something that I couldn't comprehend by trying to plug it into a computer program. Dang, wise words from this young man. I know. And he's like, yeah, he's like, I I respect, you know, that you want to sit here and tell people, you know, answers to logical questions about the faith. He's like, but at the end of the day, like, Mm. that ain't it. And I was like, whoa, You're <laughs> like, like I've never okay, had Okay, but I'm keeping like, my job, so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bye. Yeah, but it was just like, wow, like how profound, Dang. you know, is Dang. that? He just, he just hit the nail on the head. Yeah. And he like, he literally, he came and sat in my office and he was basically just like, how do I live a Catholic life? Mm. Like I, you know, 
go to mass on Sunday, but like what, what does it mean to live, you know, tangibly, concretely, like every day of my life, every hour of my life, not just the one hour on Sunday. Dang. Wow. I'm so impressed by him. Yeah. What a beautiful person. Oh my goodness. Yeah. (sighs) Well, I don't have any other questions about the book prepared. Was there anything else you wanted to discuss about it before we wrap up? I don't think so, except just to say we didn't, I guess we sort of mentioned that Chesterton in general is funny, but this book is so funny. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I just like, I, all of the dialogue and everything, I think I may have mentioned this in the first episode, I don't remember, but the conversation with professor to worms or whatever like whenever he is like trying to like be the fake one yes. and then he convinces everyone that he's the real one <laughs> Just yeah like or the fact that professor to worms is like following him remember and at yeah, every yeah, bar yeah. is like drinking a cup of milk <laughs> and it's like really freaking out sime yeah. fi- when they finally it's confront so- each other and find out they're both police detectives they end up drinking beer together it's, he's like milk yeah. and uh. it's like it really is like a lot of things is is really um it is nightmarish like like how does he chase him through the city like that quickly you yeah. know like it doesn't make sense like there's a lot of things that don't make sense yeah. like in the story like logically or practically but i think that it it really is meant to be more like a nightmare yeah. it's meant to be more like something that he's experiencing in his mind and not something that is exactly yeah, like realistic or whatever, but it's still getting at something that is like an experience of all of us when we're kind of wrestling with reality and trying to figure things out or even just dreaming about like, yeah, the things that we know. Anyway, nothing profound. I just wanted to, again, remind people how funny Chesterton is. It is really is. funny. And we didn't really get into like the line for line detail because we didn't discuss this book chapter by chapter, but mm-hmm. I think that the larger ideas were definitely worth discussing. And yeah, it's there are so many parts of this book that will make you laugh. I mean, even the scene where Sime just he gets elected to be mm-hmm. Thursday mm-hmm. is hilarious because Gregory is losing his mind, and all of the it's just it's too funny. If you haven't read it, definitely go read it. And yeah, we'd like to hear from you guys on what your thoughts were on all these questions I had for Grace. And yes, please. Did you enjoy the story? Um, did you not? Oh, I did have one. Yeah, go ahead. I just I just had one question for you. It's just kind of a fun question I was going to ask you earlier. I asked you who you thought Sunday was, but when did you know that they were all police officers <laughs> or did you? I don't remember <laughs> exactly the first time. This is my th- third time going through it because I read it twice in preparation for this episode. I listened to it and read it. Um Gosh, the first time, the first time it was when they're in France and they're about to have the duel. Uh-huh. And I was like. And the train's coming. Yeah, and the train's coming. And I'm like, this is all BS. They're all police detectives. <laughs> but who is Sunday? The first time I was like, oh my gosh, I still don't. Is he also a police detective? Is he the man in the room? Yeah. I think, yeah, when they were in France and like that whole, the marquee, they're like trying to keep the marquee and not let him go bomb. Mm-hmm. Uh, who was who he supposed to go bomb? <laughs> I don't know. Or attack. I was still totally weirded out whenever he was like stabbing him and there was yes. like parts of his face falling off and stuff. And I was like, what is happening? That like, was very, so, see, like, and that, that is I very nightmarish. It. 
and that's yeah yeah and i didn't that's one of the things i was gonna say was like they're like all of a sudden in different places and like weird stuff like that that's like spatially couldn't happen or like physically couldn't happen yeah or like when they're chasing sunday and then they end up at like this huge masquerade party all of a sudden like after being in the middle of nowhere it's like this come from yeah yeah you know how in a dream it'll be like oh you're in a hospital but like all of a sudden it's like this house and you know it's your house but it doesn't Mm. look like your house at all and it's like oh my husband's here but he doesn't look like my husband but i know he's my husband (laughs) yeah anyway i've got lots of dreams so i've got a lot of i've got a lot of experience here (laughs) um this book is just too fun and it was really fun talking with you about it today yeah for sure. I'm glad we finally got to I do know. that. <laughs> um, Grace and I will talk and decide on what we're going to do next. I want to tell you guys about two things. Um, so when this publishes, I will have already released an episode I did with um, Kristen from Sophia Institute Press on what's wrong with the world, which is also hilarious. And a lot of quotes that you see on the internet come from that book. Mm, interesting. Um, and, uh, you know, by Chesterton. And there's a funny line in that book that reminded me of The Man Who Is Thursday. Mm. And I read that book in preparation for that interview and enjoyed it. And he has this line about how marriage is like anarchy. And he says, because it's ancient, like it's always been. And it's outside of the law. He finds marriage and anarchy to be outside of the law. Like the law shouldn't basically involve itself um, in either thing. Interesting. <laughs> it's like these are these are ancient things that um, <laughs> primordial things. Yeah, I was laughing because yeah. he's got this whole book about anarchy, and I I don't know. I would have to look at the timing of which, when each one was written. But anywho. We will decide what we're going to go through next and we'll let you know. I also want to just remind you that you can come meet Grace and I in person in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, At the very end of July, we're speaking at the G.K. Chesterton Society Conference. And we're talking about truth in stories um, and how Chesterton really brings to life the things that he believes in fiction. Um, we're very excited, and we're really hoping that we can meet some of you there. So yeah, if you'd like to join us. And if you're a Lewis fan, you should come too, because Marie's husband, David, is going to also be talking with us yes. and connections between Chesterton and Lewis and all kinds of stuff like that. Yes, so. it's going to be fantastic. And if you want to meet any of the three of us, it's always nice to be face-to-face after so many years now of all this nonsense online so for sure uh grace something that you're grateful for before we sign off hmm i am grateful for the summer (laughs) um it's just my happy time and i'm grateful that it's been warm and sunny and i know that's very simple but i am beautiful i love it How about you? I'm grateful for a healthy baby. Mm. We had the flu go through our house twice. Oh, no. And it is 
so sad to see a little sick baby. So I'm extremely grateful that I've had a a little healthy baby for a little while now, and hopefully it'll stay that way. Yeah, and I feel very grateful to be able to do this podcast with you. Same. It's a privilege, and I'm glad you had the idea a couple years ago. (laughs) I know. Well, I'm, I, you know, I think Marie and I both are always like sort of living under a sort of in the background guilt of like we need to record we need to record we need to record (laughs) but we have things in our lives that take a greater priority but every time we come back to it um it's always just so life-giving for me so yes agreed um, agreed i i hope you all are okay with our pursuits being very sporadic but um yeah yeah, I think it's worth it. You know what? <laughs> I I said this the other day. My hobbies have become very slow. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. I It takes me a while to read books now. It takes me a while to accomplish any hobbies that I have. And you know what? I'm, I'm not sorry for it because there's so much being put out into the world that you're all probably overwhelmed by it. So we just <laughs> sprinkle in a little bit here and there. Yeah. Every once in a while, we're like, hey, we're still here. Yeah. Hey. What's up? Do you want to think you know, about it's like that friend today? that you don't okay. see for very long? Yeah. Like, you know, and then you see him after you haven't seen him for like a year and you're like, hey, yeah. let's talk for four hours, yeah. you know, and then you like go several months again. You know, but see we're him. still close. <laughs> That's it's us. Like, for y'all. Guys, we're yeah. close. We're here. We love you. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> okay. Well, God bless you all. And you know where to find us. We say it every time, but I run the Instagram at Pints with Chesterton. Um, and answer your emails at pintswithchesterton at gmail.com. You can find episodes and blog posts on pintswithchesterton.com. We can't wait to see you next time. Hear you next time. May you all enjoy lives of wit and whimsy. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.